up here real quick. Uh, Karen's about to lead us in our Bible reading. She's all over it, which is good. Um, it's a bit of a weird reading because you might think we've just read through the book of Acts or the start of the book of Acts, but don't worry, don't be alarmed. It is the correct reading. So she'll be reading from Acts chapter 4, which is something we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, but it applies very well to what we're talking about today. So thanks, Karen. So good morning, everyone. My name is Karen. <laughs> I'm going to be reading from you from Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Karen, and good morning, everyone. My name's Ed. Um, yeah, welcome to you if you're visiting with us today. Uh, great to have you. Um, I don't know how you make big decisions in your life, but, but I, I imagine, I think it's safe to say that uh, when you have a big decision that you have had to make or that you are having to make, one of the things you do is you would call together a time where you bring intimate friends, maybe family, if family is sort of your circle of trust, maybe your kids. Bring them together, have a dinner, coffee, a lunch, and you sort of say, look, we need to talk. We've got some important things to do with us that we need to just first share and then pray if that's your thing. And I dare say this morning, uh, that's really what we are going to do for the next 20, 25 minutes. We're going to do that as a church family. We have quite a few big things we need to start thinking about as a church. And leadership thought, well, we could sort of share that together as a family one weeknight during a meeting, but we know how hard that is and how ineffective that is and how tired we are on weeknights and maybe that's not the best place to do that. 
We could have shared with you quickly for a leadership update five minutes earlier this morning, but also what we think we need to talk about is a bit more important than just spending five minutes on. So we thought we will take this Sunday and this Sunday's sermon slot to talk about it. That said, Sundays is not to talk about our church. Sundays is really to talk about Jesus. And so (laughs) I want to talk about Jesus today as much as I want to talk about our church and some of the decisions we have to talk about. So I'm going to frame everything that we're going to talk about today in the language of, of, of the book of Acts that we've preached through. And if you're a visitor with us today, or if you're new to church or to God or to faith, I really hope that what we talk about today and what you get an insight into today will also motivate you and think, whoa, this is actually pretty cool and pretty special. What we as a church have talked through over the last few weeks was, and Ryan shared that with us already, we talked about this man named Jesus who was born as God's son. He lived and then he died a death to forgive you, me, and everyone who would believe in him of our sins. Why do we need to be forgiven of our sins? Well, that we may become children of God, that we may be filled with God's Spirit, which is a way of saying that we become children of God. God who created you, God who loves you, becomes your Father. You know Him intimately and your life will never be the same because that is who you are meant to be. You were created in God's image to be known by Him, to be loved by Him and for you to love Him and live with Him. This is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus did And the invitation is there for you today as well. If you're new to church, if you're new to faith, please. Today, make today the day where you say, yeah, I believe it. I believe that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And from there, what will happen is you will become part of God's church, which is really the collection of God's children, right? A bunch of whom you are with today. And all throughout the book of Acts, as we journeyed through it, we saw that Jesus was acting in and through his children. The book of Acts is the acts of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus is continuing to do. He started it back there 2,000 years ago, but here's the rub. Jesus is acting today, still, this morning, here, now. Jesus has acted very much over the last five or ten years in the life of this church. And that's where I kind of want to start with you in talking about the future of of our church. I want us to look first back over the last five or ten years uh, of the life of our church. And I want us to perhaps identify perhaps what Jesus has done. What are some acts that we know Jesus has done in the life of Pathway to Life? Our our words for, for, for Jesus acting is summarized in these three words. We believe that Jesus is encouraging his children to grow up into mature adult children of his. We encourage you and we believe Jesus encourages you through his word, Sunday in, Sunday out. That's why we preach. That's why you listen. That's why we come here on Sundays as well as small groups, as well as a number of other ministries. We believe Jesus has acted in empowering people to lead, to serve, to be active, 
We believe Jesus has acted in igniting people for Christ, making new children, inviting them into his children, into his family, into, into faith in becoming Christian. In fact, Jesus has acted in such a way that I think no one who has been here over the last number of years can deny that he has been remarkably faithful, remarkably fruitful, remarkably generous to us. If you have been part of Pathway to Life, and even if you're a newcomer, much like myself, can I tell you, you have been and you are part of, I get emotional, I think, part of something incredibly, incredibly special. I don't think I've seen the likeness of it in my short time. I'd like to believe I'll see more of it, but it's been special. We've prayed for unity as a church. We've got unity. We've prayed for generosity as a church. Generosity, the likes of which we've seen, I think, is outstanding in time, love, care, finances. We prayed for God to provide leadership in areas where we needed it. For a time there, it was a pastor. We've seen an outstanding pastor. Church. <laughs> leadership. Yeah. yeah. You know, across the board, leadership. At the minute, we're keeping a relatively up to date list on our church database of about 190 people, children included. We've seen ministries like the bus, like the hub very much edged at loving our community and those who don't know Jesus. Pathway House, chaplains. I can name the rest of the ministries, Pathway Youth, Pathway Men, Pathway Women, Pathway Kids. Finished building project that was substantially above our weight to ever pull off. (laughs) Jesus has acted. Jesus is acting. And if you are here, if you have been here, if you, like I said, young or old, you have reason to sit and believe in great gratitude today that you have and you are a part of something that Jesus is doing. You rightly should raise a hallelujah again and again and again for what he is doing in and through his children. It's remarkable. Never perfect, but still remarkable. So, that then brings us to a a tricky point in the life of the history of our church, because as great as all of that is, you see, if, if, if Jesus would continue to act in the ways that he, that he has, if, if our response to him, our enabled response by his grace is to continue to surrender our lives to him, to be filled with his spirit, to love those who don't know Jesus the way he calls us to love them, growth might continue. 
I think it's fair to say it is our hope, it's our desire that it will continue. Certainly is part of leadership's hopes, part of leadership's dreams. And if it does continue, obviously our church size will increase. And here's the rub. Like it or not, church size matters in how you experience, how you engage with, how you serve, how you live out your faith, uh, almost more than anything else in church life. I'm not talking here about you know, big things like the moral things. I'm just talking about your encounter, your experience of church. Church size significantly matters. There are unique features of each church size if you break a church's size down to some dynamics. Here's a quote, and this might be a bit theoretical, but just, just bear with me here. Size has enormous impact on how a church functions. A large or a larger church is not simply a bigger version of a small church. The difference in communication, the difference in community formation, decision-making processes are so great that the leadership skills required in each are of almost completely different orders. A pathway to life of 100 people is a very different pathway to life of 50 people. A pathway to life of 200 people is a very different pathway to life than 100 people. A pathway to life of 300 people is an almost completely different animal from a pathway to life of 50 people. So my point here is that that leadership knows, and we want you to know today, that if Jesus continues to act and add to his children here and working in us and working through us, there are big changes as part of our future, whether we like that or not. We're at the point, really, where we thought this would always be a pie-in-the-sky conversation, but we're approaching it faster than we perhaps are comfortable with, but we're approaching it, and we need to talk about it. That's why I'm up here today. I would like to share with you two options that we have in terms of if our church continues to grow, what we could do. And then I'm going to call you to respond today and what leadership is asking of you. Okay? Let me give you the two options. Option A, we grow right where we are. Right? We say, this is going well. We love who we are. We love the way we experience and engage with Pathway to Life as it sits and as it works at the moment. We simply have a vision of continue and carry on. It's a legitimate option. However, let me just outline five things that research tells us that would have to change and that we would have to accept and that we would have to get used to and we would have to embrace. If this is the model we want to pursue, okay? Number one, I summarise them in P words, but they don't really work. I realised yesterday I'm, I'm... Butcher them really to fit my, my alliteration plan, but that's okay. It's not the word of God, so you can do what you want with it. Well, do what you want with other stuff. Uh, people. I'm not so much talking about people as in members of church. I'm talking about people to lead. In this model of church, it's roughly estimated. One uh, pastor can pastor 
about 100 or 150 people, eventually you've got to go a second pastor. We would need a second pastor. We would need to get significant additional staff as that journey continues, as that church grows as one church, as one group under one leadership in one spot. Staffing becomes a huge deal. People to, uh, to lead and serve and fulfill the vital functions. Leading a small church, volunteer base, very easy, can get away with it. The larger the church, the harder that is. So we can't avoid that. We would eventually have to do that sort of thing. Power. Power shifts. In a small church, you know, most people are very close to the action, close to the decision-making, close to what goes on. And information spreads fairly rapidly, you know. Um, over a few Sunday lunches, informally, everyone knows what's going on in church and everyone's uh, informed and part of all that decision-making process. The larger a church, the larger a church grows, the, the further you kind of get away from the power, Right? Authority and decision-making happens in, in, in groups of staff and leaders and pastors and so forth. That should be a huge change for our church if we want to go down that direction. It's not a bad thing. It, it's an unavoidable thing, which leads us to processes. A larger church needs to be very deliberate, very intent, very good at communicating from within its leadership to its people. Administrative skills. The need for effective administrative skills become much, much higher. Um, I'm not an admin guy, <laughs> but, um, but that's, that's a very big need, right, for a large church to do its admin well so that no one falls through the crack, so that we're all on the same page, so that we work effectively together, all that sort of stuff. Processes. Priority, I'll skip that one. It's, it's a bit boring, but it's just the priority of whoever. I mean, once you have a pastor team, you have a sort of a senior pastor role, and, and that person's priorities is somewhat different to what it might have been if it's the same person who sticks through and grows up into a multi-staff team and all that kind of church language. I don't want to bore you with it, but that's a bit different, okay? So what your leaders do change. You can't expect them to do what they used to do when your church was smaller. And then place. We're, we're more or less in capacity in this building. We can't squeeze much more people in here. If we want to be one church, one large church meeting in the same spot, in the same service, this won't do. Uh, we would have to have either a second church service or we could build a bigger building. <laughs> don't think we're up for that, but these are options, right? That's, uh, that's what you kind of have to face. That's, that's option A. Uh, grow where you are. Grow bigger where you are. I mentioned these five things to you to convince you that it's not just a matter of just keep going. Even if you pursue that option, which seems the most logical one of the two that I'm going to share with you, you have significant, significant things that are lying ahead. If that's what we want to do. It's option one. Here's option two. And I will say this is as per what we've shared with you in the past, what leadership has shared with you, what we're leaning to. We're not sure, but we're leaning to this. Option B is don't grow here, grow somewhere else. Key word for that is multiply. What does that mean? At this stage, some group of people from Pathway go somewhere, sometime, to start something like a church that will empower, encourage, 
and ignite others who will eventually grow into a fully independent church of its own. We, our language, our metaphoric language to you in the past have been give birth to another church. Some group, somewhere, sometime, something church-like. Immediately, some of you would say, why are you leaning that way as a leadership? What makes you prefer that over option A? Can I show you a short video just outlining some of the things that perhaps justify? This little video is from a, a, a church planting network resource group called Geneva Push. They have interviewed someone who's active in doing this sort of thing in southwest Sydney. So they talk about southwest Sydney, they talk some statistics, just erase that in your mind and think about our context. It's three minutes long, and then I'll talk again and I'll wrap things up for us. All right. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, why, why plant a church? Why not work in an established church? Sydney's got you know, loads of them. Why, why start a new thing? Yeah, like 270 parishes in the Anglican world. Mm. You know, we've carved up all of Sydney. Why? Well, I hear you say, Scott, and it's right, and you know, new churches reach new people, right? Yep. yep. Um, there's something, like in our particular place, church planning's obvious. There's, uh, so say Southwest Sydney, 300,000 people now, mm. uh, 650 by next 15 years. So I did a little calc and worked out, if we reach 5%, which would be start, we'd need churches for another 17,500 people yep. in the next 15 years. And then I did the math and worked out, well, hang on, that means we need a new church of 1,000 people every year for the next 17 years. Yeah. Just in that part of Sydney. Just in se- so we need 17 new parishes of 1,000 people. And everyone, we need a planter every year, a core team every year, and the church needs to grow to 1,000. I think at that point you just realise that uh, church planning isn't a strategy, church planning is a necessity, but in terms of it actually being missionally effective, like there's just something about when you get a group together mm. and I, I don't know, the focus that a new church enables you to have, that actually grows them and that culture that they then have, mm. every new person that bolts into that new little core group sort of starts to live the culture that they come into mm, mm. and so you know it's often said church planning for wimps in a sense much you know give me under god six people who are sold out for the gospel and then every person that adds into that it creates a culture within that new church that then is able to reach out more effectively i think um that's why i think new churches reach new people because they're focused and intentional and the core team fits the culture to what they're doing which means you can do it in any church right you can you can re-pot exactly what you're doing. It's just slightly harder than starting from six well, people. Yeah, I guess, I guess what I, I want to... I, I reckon. I want to pu- push back because it sounds like you've been really intentional and purposeful uh, about making mission at the centre of what you're doing. But, yeah, but sure. you can do church planning, which exactly doesn't reach people. Um, you know, so church plants can Like you just sort of drag in others from yeah, other just places. Dra- yeah, you know, sure. and, and again, that would be one of the critiques of, uh, of church planning. You, know, you, you haven't really grown the church. It's actually been grown by... You know, grown by others, uh, but you you were deliberate. You know, you were deliberate about getting people onto your core team, onto your launch team, who yeah. who actually wanted to reach out. Yeah, and 
the reality is is that church plants are going to grow in every way, right? Mm. They're going to grow by new kids, birth. Yeah, Actually, kids. Kids, kids get born. And in our part of Sydney, I mean, there are just kids everywhere. Yep. Um, and a key part of our strategy is kids ministry. Uh, but also, people will join churches that are intentional and focused and new and are reaching out. And like they will bolt onto that because they want to join it. And missionally-minded other churches will send them. Mm. So that's going to happen. And yes, sometimes people will transfer churches there's no doubt about that yep um and yeah you've got to be deliberate to make sure that that doesn't become your growth strategy why plant churches why not grow churches where they are in short that little video i hope what you would get out of that is this is this is at least one school of thought one one school of research and and we're we're sort of leaning towards it as i said the likelihood of encouraging, empowering and igniting being done more effectively and more faithfully by more people is going to happen in the church planting model. We think. We think. More so than in growing where we are. It doesn't have to, but we think that it will be. Uh, that, at the moment, is certainly our... Uh, our philosophy and thinking, which, 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 again, let me work with ifs here. These are the two options. And can I get now to the question in the back of, of what must be and probably are in your mind right now, is if, if we are going to go down this route, what exactly are we going to do? Where exactly are we going to start this? Who exactly is going to going to go to start this? And when exactly are they going to do so? Those are the questions. This is why the family needs to talk today, right? So that we, as a leadership, can give you the answer to these questions. That's why I'm up here. And... Assuming that you're ready to receive leadership's answer to these questions, here it is. We don't know. We don't know. I, I, <laughs> we don't know. Okay? We've been milling this. We've been thinking about this. We've been praying about this. And we're at the point where we said, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. Because right now, this whole issue for us as a leadership team looks a lot like this, right? If you were here a few weeks ago when we preached through Acts, and if you're visiting to us today, I spoke about the passage that Karen read to us. And in the passage we read, the disciples were faced with something that to them, I went with a spider and I had Marty up here and then my, my little boy, my little boy is afraid of spiders, you know. And the people in that story, the disciples, do you recall back to memory, they were afraid, they were getting persecuted. They were being threatened. They were saying, stop speaking about Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do in your life and through your life. Stop doing it or else. They were threatened and they were afraid. I'm not saying we're getting persecuted. But I am saying 
that I look at this scenario that I just sketched to you, and I think I can speak for all of leadership and say, we're a little afraid. I'm, I'm perhaps more than afraid, to be honest. I, I, I'm afraid of unnecessarily destroying a stunning church that exists here. I'm afraid of going the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong reason. I'm afraid of the risks that will have to be taken. I'm afraid of the discomfort that it would cause. I'm afraid of the sacrifices that will have to be made. They're enormous. I think they're beyond what we can imagine. I'm afraid of the skills that will be required of many in our congregation as we face and are confronted with this decision. But I don't want us to look at the fear and at the spider. I want us to look at where those disciples looked in this story. Let me recall you. What was their response? (laughs) They raised their voices together in prayer to God. They said, God, we're being threatened. God, we're afraid. What will we do? We will pray. Do you know one of the best things about our church, I think the hallmark of our church, is our ability to pray our way through our problems. Not that we have a problem, our challenges. I, one of my favourite stories that will stick to me forever as part of Pathway to Life is shortly after I got here, uh, Someone who is part of a different church who's struggling and sort of noticed, as has been said this morning, the turnaround in this church and the the many fruitfulness and blessings that have come. And and this person from that struggling church spoke to more than one of our members, asking them, what have you done? What was your recipe? How did you change things around for your church? And the one thing that was said repeatedly, number one, top of the list, constantly is, You know what we did? We prayed. We prayed. I could take a single person, any which one, from anywhere of the crowd of Pathway to Life when I got here four years ago, and I could say, what are you praying for? And I'd get the answer. Unity, generosity, leadership. That's what we're praying for. That is what got us here. It is my firm conviction, based on the word of God, that that is what will get us to where we need to go. So what we're asking you today, Pathway, is this. We're asking you to start praying. We want to embark on a season of the life of our church where we pray a simple prayer. Jesus, should we multiply, and, and, and if so, where should we go, and what should we do? It's a simple line. A simple request. We don't know, but he does. <laughs> We're going to trust him. We're going to simply do what we are showed and what we are shared with in Scripture. And so, here's the practical end of this as I move to a close. Um, there are many ways and forums and places where we're going to pray. Leadership's not going to make a decision on any of the practicalities of this for quite some time. In fact, I don't think we will actually multiply and start something somewhere sometime, to put it into context for you, for quite some time. A year, two. It's not, it's not imminent. It's not all that far away either. 
and we've got to start thinking and praying about it now. So we're going to embark on a season of prayer. We're going to ask you to pray on your own and to listen to God on your own. You have to because you'll be affected by this significantly. We ask our prayer groups to pray about this intently for a period of time. We ask your small groups to pray about this together intently for a period of time. We ask our congregational prayer leaders to pray about this intently for a period of time. And then one more somewhat out of the ordinary way in which we want to pray is we're inviting you to a specific prayer meeting on Thursday night, the 29th of April at 7 p.m. here at Pathway. We will advertise that more in time to come. But this is a leadership meeting, a regular leadership team meeting date. And on that night, what leadership wants to do is we want to say we're going to take our agenda and instead of doing our business, our business is to pray. Our business is to come together like we see in Acts and we're simply going to ask God. We don't want to do it alone as a leadership team. We're going to invite as many as is possible of you to come with us that night in this place to pray. We will Zoom it, so we'll give you the details of that. If you cannot make it, at least tune in on Zoom. If you're a person who doesn't like to pray out loud, that's okay. Just come. I think God would notice that. It would mean something. It would be significant. If we, as the Church of Jesus here, raise our voices to God in prayer. Besides praying... About a month after that, in May, we will have a think tank and a brainstorm meeting where we would invite any interested parties to just come and tell us. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us what God has revealed to you. Tell us what you're afraid of. Tell us what you think. Beyond that, talk about it in your families, in your friendship groups, in your small groups. You know, from now on, this is great. We can talk about this openly as we pray and as we think. The disciples in Acts prayed. This is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth and the sea and everything in them. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, you know the future of Pathway. You own Pathway. And you are our great Father who knows all things and who can do all things. And I remind you as a close of that, as you pray, as perhaps some of the fear sets into you. Let's just pray knowing who it is we pray to. That is our Father. He is our Father. He knows. And it's to him we're turning. And may we find, after we have prayed and after we have approached him, that like them, sorry, the place where we prayed is also shaken. Maybe not physically, but inside us, we know. We know who we are. We know whose we are. And we have the confidence and the courage to step out into doing whatever it is that we are going to do, knowing our Father is with us, knowing that we may be filled with his Spirit, and knowing that we may speak the Word of God boldly. Wherever, however, whoever, whenever. Please pray with me. Father, we're around the table as your kids. 
We're grateful for your enormous blessings and we confess openly already in this prayer as a start that we're not quite sure what we should do. Will you lead us? Will you speak to us? Lord, will you convict us of potential impure motives? Will you remind us of your greatness? And Father, may we surrender pathway to life at the foot of your cross. It is yours, not ours. You do with us as you please. And let us find such confidence that we can be in no better place and in no better shape than to turn to you. Our great, awesome, phenomenal Father, in whose name we pray this. Amen.